In 2001, HBO aired a mini-series entitled Band of Brothers. This 10-part mini-series was the telling of the story of Easy Company. Easy Company is part of the U.S. Army's 101st Airborne Division, and Band of Brothers tells the story of Easy Company during their World War II efforts in Europe. Now, this story is critically acclaimed, but I'm having a little trouble because I can't exactly recommend it to everyone here this morning because there is more than that little one thing in Band of Brothers uh, that would keep me from recommending it to everyone. But Band of Brothers, as I said, is a critically acclaimed miniseries. It's a clear and accurate telling, a truthful telling of the horrors and the truths of war. And it is critically acclaimed. It's won many, many numerous awards. When it was made, it was the most expensive miniseries ever, ever produced. It was nominated for 20 daytime Emmys. It won seven daytime Emmys, including Best Miniseries. It won a, globe, a Golden Globe for Outstanding Miniseries. It even won a Peabody Award. It's also rated 94% fresh rotten tomatoes. <laughs> it is really good. This story of Easy Company and Band of Brothers is a really good story. Why? Why is it so good? Why was it so critically acclaimed? Why have so many people watched this story about a band of brothers? There's many reasons. I think there's many reasons why it was so good, but there's one reason that stands out to me why Band of Brothers is such a good miniseries. It's because in the telling of the story, you see the realities of war. The men of Easy Company face physical trial after physical trial, battle after battle, and face the consequences of every battle. And it's not only physically draining on the men of Easy Company, there is an emotional, there is an emotional thing that happens. They're attacked not only physically, but they're attacked emotionally, and they face the torturous emotional realities of war. But what makes it all remarkable, what makes it so special is that amongst the horrors and the tortures of war, you realize, you realize that these men can go on because they are all there for each other. They're in it together. One for all and all for one. The men of Easy Company, for the most part, demonstrate loyalty dependability, reliability, trustworthiness, and integrity. They show their brothers what it means to be a person who shows up. Band of Brothers is so critically acclaimed because it lives up to its ambitious 
title. You see, men fight. Men fight for many reasons. But men mostly fight, kill, and die for their friends, their brothers in the next foxhole. And this is not only in military settings. These, these character traits apply in other areas as well. I think about how they apply in sports. Some of the best memories in my life were times when I was part of a sports team where together the members of the team were striving together for the same goal. These character traits are also present in marriages. When our marriages, if you are married, when your marriage is going well, you recognize these character traits are primary in your marriage. It also happens in our extended family relationships and with friends. And it happens in church as well. As we unite together this morning, as we come here, as we worship together. You see, everybody wants... Everybody wants someone, at least one person in their life who they know has their back and means it. Everyone wants to know that there is someone who is going to show up when they need it. And not only does everyone want that, I know deep down, I know deep down in your hearts, each one of you wants to be a person who is loyal, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, and true. This morning, we are going to talk, and God is going to share with us what it means to be Loyal, reliable, dependable, trustworthy, and true. So if you would, would you please take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. It's found on page 965 in the Bible that's in the rack in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of those and turn to page 965. Titus chapter 1. Look beginning in verse 5. Now this is, these are words that the Apostle Paul has written to us. Look at what he writes. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless. Remember last week? We looked at this word blameless. Now look at the next phrase. Faithful to his wife. Right there. There it is. See that word? That word faithful? This is the word that we're going to be focusing upon this morning. Remember Jim explained, he's explained a couple of times that this year we're going to do things a little differently. We're not going to be taking a text and going verse by verse and explaining the verse. We're going to be using the book of Titus as a jumping off point. So Titus is going to identify the topics that we are going to address. This morning, we are going to focus on the word faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? Now here we see that the instruction, the requirement for an elder is to be faithful 
to his wife. But being faithful is also a goal that God has for each one of us. You see, yes, we're to be faithful. If you're married, you're to be faithful to your wife or faithful to your husband. But this morning, we are going to focus on faithfulness in all relationships. Our faithfulness in all relationships. So first, what is faithfulness? Faithfulness, like blamelessness, is a character trait. It's a character trait. It's why Band of Brothers was so attractive. You see, faithfulness is the word that the Bible uses to describe, it's a descriptor for loyalty, dependability, reliability, trustworthiness, and integrity. To be faithful means that you are loyal, it means you are dependable, it means you are reliable, it means that you are trustworthy, it means that you are true. To be faithful means that you are a person who shows up for other people. We see it in marriage. In marriage, we make a promise, we make a pledge to be faithful to the person to whom we're marrying. And we promise to be faithful in sickness and in health for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. In the promise is what we are to live up and when we live up to and when we are faithful, it means that we keep the promise no matter what. That's what it means to be faithful. And we all want people in our lives who are faithful to us. And if we think about it, We do have people in our lives who are faithful to us. But to be honest, we also need to recognize that there are people in our lives who haven't been so faithful to us, who have let us down. We've thought about, there's people in our lives who have promised to show up in our pain and they never call. There's people who have promised to pray for us, but we feel that the prayer soon stops. There are fathers that promise to show up to their son's games, but don't. There are people who tell us that they're going to write, but we never get the email, the text, or the letter. There are people in our lives who have disappointed us because they haven't been faithful. See, a faithful person is hard to find. I even found a proverb on this, Proverbs 20, 20, verse 6. Look what it says. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. And you know what? It's our tendency to look around at the people that are in our lives and kind of evaluate whether they're being faithful. But just like last week, when Jim said this wasn't about people around you and whether they're blameless or not, It was a call to evaluate ourselves this morning as we look at this character trait of faithfulness. The instruction is the same. It's not about whether people around you have been faithful to you. The question that we must ask ourselves, we must examine ourselves and ask, am I being faithful to the people who God has placed in my life? So the encouragement for us this morning is, Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's ask ourselves, am I a faithful person? And like I said earlier, 
Deep down, deep down, I know you want to be loyal, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, and true. Deep down, you want to be the person who shows up for others. But not only do you want to be that person, God wants you to be that person. God himself wants you to be a person who is faithful, who demonstrates faithfulness. God wants you to be that person. He wants this for you. Look here. We see it here right in our text in Titus 1 verse 6, enlisting the qualifications for elder. The second one listed is faithfulness. This clearly has value and importance for God. He wants you to be faithful. He wants me to be faithful. It is the second requirement for an elder that he should be faithful to his wife. Now, this doesn't mean that the elder needs to be married, that an elder needs to be married. But if an elder is married, it means that he must show his wife loyalty, dependability, reliability, trustworthiness, and integrity. It is so important to God. And not only is it an essential character trait for marriage, it is an essential character trait for each one of us in relationship to our service for the church. God asks us to be faithful in our service to the church. It is a primary requirement that he has for you and me. He expects us to show up for the church and the people in the church. He expects us to do what we say we are going to do. He expects us to help things run. He expects us to show up when he says to show up, when he asks us. We are to be faithful in our service and we're to be faithful in our service no matter what the situation is. You see, it's often easy to be faithful when things are going well. It's a lot more difficult to be faithful when things aren't going so well. It's all of our natures. It's all of our tendencies. If everything's going well, hey, I want to be a part of that. If everything is not going well, or maybe even a few things are not going well, we think, you know what? I'm not sure I want to show up and be around when that's happening. Now, I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I'm actually going to quote Oprah. So Oprah has this, Oprah has this great quote, and look what she says. Lots of people want to ride with you in the limo, but what you need is someone who will take the bus with you when your limo breaks down. Isn't that so true? It is so true. Lots of people want to be with you when things are going well, not everybody wants to be around when things aren't going well. You see, faithfulness means showing up when you know that the limo is broke and you know that you're going to have to ride the bus. That's what it means to be faithful. And even more than that, it's really interesting to see how much God values faithfulness, how important, he, how important faithfulness is to him. Interestingly, the Apostle Paul, when he picks people to serve with him, you want to guess what the characteristic, what the character trait he looks for is? Faithfulness. Look at this list of people. Look at how Paul describes these lists of individuals. 1 Corinthians 4, 17. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful. 
faithful in the Lord. Then look at Colossians 1, verse 7. Colossians 1, verse 7. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ. Colossians 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Colossians 4, verse 9. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. And Paul even tells Timothy what he is to look for when he is choosing disciples. Look what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable, that's the same word, to faithful people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, I'm sure that Paul could have used many different descriptions to describe the people that were going to serve with him. He could have used many different character traits to pick those people. But he doesn't. The character trait that Paul looks for in the people that he picks to serve alongside of him is faithfulness. He could have chosen people with high IQs. He could have chosen people with winsome personalities. He could have chosen people with different abilities or talents or gifts, but he doesn't. What he does is he chooses people who are faithful. Paul chooses people who are loyal, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, and true. Why? Because he knows that they are going to show up. God wants faithful people. It is one of the highest requirements that he has for service and I will dare say, for his blessing as well. God wants you to be faithful. Which leads to the question, to whom are we to be faithful? To whom are we to be faithful? Well, we clearly have from the Titus text that elders are to be faithful to their wives, to their wife, excuse me. Elders are to be faithful. I should have just let it go. You might not have gotten it. (laughs) Elders are to be faithful to their wife. But what we said is this sermon, this teaching is about our faithfulness in all relationships. So to whom are we to be faithful? Please turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you're following along in the Bible that the church provides, it's page 974, 974. So Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a long list of faithful men and women in the Old Testament. People who trusted God. I'm going to just briefly go through and just pick out a few examples. Look at verse 4. Abel. Abel's understanding of God made his sacrifice pure and authentic. Look down at verse 7. Noah. Noah trusted God's voice about the coming judgment as well as God's provision to save his family. Jump down a bit further, you have Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah believed against all evidence that God would give them a child. There's more and more people who are listed here who are full of faith, which means they were faithful. They acted on their faith. How about verse 31? Rahab. 
Rahab trusted God to protect her family when the Israelites destroyed Jericho. And there are many, many more people who were all faithful. They all believed God and they believed what God had promised them. And because they believed in God's promises, they acted on his promises. They demonstrated faithfulness. Faithfulness is believing that God is who he says he is and living within that belief no matter what disappointment or trial or even success that you face. You believe that God is who he says he is, that when he promises something, he is faithful and true and you act upon those promises. Believing in God, being faithful towards God means that you do not listen or care about the instructions or the concerns of this world. It means that you don't even believe what your own eyes necessarily see. To be faithful to God means that you trust in his promises and you act on those promises. It means that he will work out everything for your good, even when that includes suffering. It means that he will work his will in your life. It means that no matter what you are going through right now, no matter what your trial is, no matter what your difficulty is, no matter what your suffering is, it means that you believe that the future glory to come far outweighs your present circumstances. That's what it means to be faithful to God. And when you understand what this means, do you realize how freeing this is? How freeing it is to be faithful to God? Realizing, look, most of us sit around and most of us think, boy, that's a good day today. But tomorrow, man, I do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. And all I can imagine is my tomorrow is just going to fall apart and bad things are going to happen we think about the miserableness of what may happen. And I, I'm trying to control my daughter's attitude, and I can't. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to do my job the way I should do my job. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to lead my father to Jesus. I don't think I'm ever going to be whatever. Fill in your blank. The freeing aspect about being faithful to God means you don't have to make those things happen. You don't have to do anything. What you need to do is be faithful to God and realize that he is going to take care of your tomorrow. God is going to be faithful to you. Being faithful to God means you trust his promises and you act on those promises by realizing that he is going to show up for you tomorrow. The first person to whom we are to be faithful is God. Secondly, we're to be faithful to our loved ones. Clearly, there are people in our lives that we are to demonstrate a high level of faithfulness towards. 
As indicated by the starting text this morning, if you are married, you are supposed to demonstrate a high level of faithfulness towards your spouse. If you have children, you are supposed to demonstrate a high level of faithfulness towards your children. To your friends, you are supposed to demonstrate a high level of faithfulness. You are supposed to be loyal, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, and true with the people that God has placed in your life, people to whom you have a close relationship with. This means that you are to be present with them. And when I mean present, it means you are going to be there when you are with them, not with your mind someplace else. It means that your eyes are going to be fixed, your ears are going to be open, and your phone is going to be on silent because you are going to be with them. You are going to honor them with your words and your actions and even your thoughts. Because these are people that God has given to you, has placed in your life so that you can show up for them. So number one, we're to be faithful to God. Number two, we're to be faithful to loved ones. And there is a third category. The third category I've kind of entitled, we're to be faithful to our neighbors. We're to be faithful to our neighbors. Now the question that's gonna immediately pop to your mind is, well, who is my neighbor? Well, there was a lawyer that came across Jesus and asked, Jesus asked this lawyer, well, so who's your neighbor? And like lawyers do, this lawyer tried to obfuscate. He tried to get around answering the question. He tried to qualify the question. He tried to limit his answer. So Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. And essentially the point of the story of the Good Samaritan is that your neighbor is anyone that God places in your path. And that may even be an enemy. So God calls us to be faithful to himself. He calls us to be faithful to loved ones and he calls us to be faithful to neighbors. And a neighbor is anyone that God places in your path. Even if God places an enemy in your path, you are to be faithful to that person. That may be you say a kind word to them. That may be you even invite them for coffee. That may be you even jump way up there and invite them to church. It is you being present in the moment, recognizing that that person needs your loyalty, your dependability, your reliability, your trustworthiness and truth. God calls us to be faithful people. And you know what it does? You know what happens when we're faithful? When we're faithful to our loved ones, when we're faithful to our neighbors, to the people that God has placed in our lives, When we're faithful to those people, what happens is is those people start to see and experience the faithfulness of God himself. Because you are God's agent of faithfulness. You are God's agent of mercy, God's agent of grace, God's agent of love in that person's life. And what happens is, is that person starts to see right through you to the God to whom you are being faithful. You see how it works? God calls us to be faithful. So about now, you're thinking, oh, that's all well and good. That's kind of, yeah, I get that. I'm following, I'm tracking. But Tom, you don't like get my life. You don't know all the stuff I have going around in my life. There is so much, so many things happening in my life. I am so busy. I believe that's true. I think we could all kind of say that. 
that we're really busy, that there's a lot of stuff going on in our lives. But the question I have is how much of that is just really a bunch of distractions? That we just have so many distractions in our life that keep us from actually focusing on the things that God wants us to focus on. Distractions that keep us from being faithful to God, faithful to our loved ones, and faithful to others. Because we all have a lot of distractions in our life. It's kind of like Chuck E. Cheese. Yes. Yes, life is like Chuck E. Cheese. It's full of distractions. Now, here's what's been happening in my life. So, the last few months now, I've been spending a lot of time kind of thinking about life. And I think it's because of, like, the age of my children, the stage of life that I'm in. I'm kind of in this transition period that I'm having trouble figuring out. You know, I kind of like how it was and not sure how it's going to be. And so, I'm driving around one day, and I'm driving around Centerpoint Mall, and I come, and, and I see Chuck E. Cheese, And so I stop. Now, I know you think I'm crazy, but I stop in the parking lot and I just stare at Chuck E. Cheese. And I'm thinking about all the time that my wife and I took our kids to Chuck E. Cheese. And I won't tell you all the things I thought about, but in preparation for this sermon, it kind of jumped to my mind that, man, life is like Chuck E. Cheese. Now, I don't know how many of you understand or know about Chuck E. Cheese, but the best way for me to describe Chuck E. Cheese is it's just chaos, It's just utter, Chuck E. Cheese is like utter and complete chaos. Now, Chuck E. Cheese in some ways is a restaurant. Like you can go there and have pizza, but you go there and have pizza, and then within Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck E. Cheese, like the tagline is the place where a kid can be a kid, right? But you go into Chuck E. Cheese and all this stuff is happening. There's animatronic rats that are like waving at you. There's skee-ball, you know, the skee-ball game. There's whack-a-mole. Like, that was my favorite. I loved whack-a-mole, man. I would just take out weeks of frustration on whack-a-mole. Like, you have whack-a-mole, you have the basketball shooting game, you have, like, the, my kid's favorite of all, the ball pit, which is, like, the most disgusting thing ever. But it's a place of distractions, and I can't figure out. I, like, here's the thing I was thinking about. Like, okay, are the games a distraction from eating the meal? Or is the cardboard pizza a distraction from the games? Either way, it's just a bunch of distraction. And you can't quite figure out what you're supposed to do. It's kind of like life. In our lives, we have so many distractions. Maybe your distraction is technology. You got that phone, and when you got the phone, you like had the best intentions that this piece of technology was going to actually help in your relationships. But to be honest, it hasn't really worked out that way. Like you can be sitting at family dinner, and everybody in the family like has their phone out in front of them, and this is a time where we're supposed to be intentional. This is a time where we're supposed to be faithful to one another, where we're supposed to be engaging with one another. And if you're old, you're sitting there looking at Facebook. And if you're young, you're sitting there looking at Instagram. But no matter how it works out, everybody is focused on their distraction. Or maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a hobby you had that started off with all the best intentions as well. Like, I'm going to go hunting so I can be with a bunch of guys. 
or I'm going to do Pinterest, or I'm going to golf, or I'm going to fish, or I don't know what else. Put your, put your hobby in there, or I'm going to play board games. And it started off with great intentions, but after a while, it just becomes a distraction. It keeps you from being faithful to the relationships that God has placed in front of you. Or maybe it's FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Maybe your FOMO is so bad that you can't commit to any one person because you're waiting for the better opportunity to come on Friday night. It's just a distraction because maybe you're just way up inside your head thinking too much about yourself and not about the other people that God has placed in your path to be faithful to. You see, God wants you to be loyal, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, and true to the people that he has placed in your life. You see, you can't live in Chuck E. Cheese forever because you will go crazy. So, how do we become more faithful? How do we become more faithful? God has instruction for us. First, I'd like to tell you that we become more faithful by recognizing, first and foremost, that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to be faithful. When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God's very spirit enters into you and fills you with a power, a power that is sufficient to make you into a faithful person. And you are on the journey towards faithfulness. In Acts chapter 5, there's a story where the 12 apostles have to pick some people to serve. They have to pick some deacons. The first person they pick is a man named Stephen. And Stephen is described in Acts 5 as being full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And it would be a more accurate translation if it said Stephen was full of faithfulness and the Holy Spirit. You see, faithfulness and the Holy Spirit, they go together. The Holy Spirit empowers you to be faithful. It's like Jim has shared a couple times that in this journey with Christ, we are on a journey towards Christ-likeness. The Spirit is making us more like Jesus. And it's like, remember he said it's like a river? And the current is going in the direction of us becoming more like Jesus. The Spirit is doing this work. And really, we just want to be on the river going in the same direction as the Spirit has us towards faithfulness. Don't want to swim upstream because the current is taking us towards faithfulness. The Holy Spirit is doing that for us. But my encouragement to you this morning is to recognize that yes, you can float along with the current or you can decide that you want to start to swim with the current, that you want to vigorously paddle to get to where God has you going more quickly. So how does that happen? Turn to Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter 5, this is how we know 
that the Spirit empowers us towards faithfulness. Galatians chapter 5 lists the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are what we are growing in as Christians. These are the character traits that we demonstrate as Christians and that we are growing more and more fullness in. So look at verse 22. These are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness. What's next? Faithfulness. Let's try that again. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness. What's next? Faithfulness. The Holy Spirit and faithfulness go together. Paul also lists gentleness and self-control. Then Paul tells us what to do. He tells us how to swim, not float with the current. He tells us how to paddle vigorously with the current. Now his advice is simple. It's not necessarily easy, but it's fairly simple advice. If you want to be faithful, if you want to be a person who is loyal, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, and true, you can be that person. And here's how it happens. First, you must keep the flesh crucified. You must keep the flesh crucified. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, this is an interesting verse because it's very different than a very similar verse that we see earlier in Galatians 2.20. So look back quickly. Let's look at Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says that we, as Christians, we have been crucified with Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. Now jump back to Galatians 5.24. In Galatians 5.24, it says that we are doing the crucifying. We are to crucify the flesh. Another way of saying this is we are to crucify our sinful natures. When you come to Christ... You said that you were no longer interested in living by the power of your flesh. You said that you were no longer interested in living according to your sinful nature. You said that you were going to put sin behind you and you were no longer going to live in the failure and the compromise and in the pain and in the hurt of sin. And so you turned to Jesus and you said, what I am going to do is what Paul instructs us in verse chapter 5, verse 24, is you are going to crucify that sinful nature, which means you are going to nail that sinful nature to the cross. And you are going to put that sin on the cross so Jesus can deal with it and you can walk away from it forever. The problem is, is most of us, actually that's all of us, like to go back to the cross and pull certain sins off the cross and kind of engage in those sins because we don't think that they're such a big deal. But what Paul is saying here is, no, that's not an option for you. You have to continue to crucify your sinful nature. You have to continue to place your sins on the cross and allow Jesus to take care of them. Martin Luther has a great illustration about this. He gives the illustration of of, of a man having to shave. And he says, when you wake up on Monday morning, you have to shave. And then your beard grows back, so you wake up on Tuesday morning and you have to shave again. And then you wake up on Wednesday morning and you decide not to shave for a day, for a two, for three, for four days. But what happens when you decide not to shave? 
the beard grows. And what Martin Luther is saying is crucifying your sinful nature has to happen on a daily basis. Otherwise, you are going to, just like if you fail to shave, you are going to grow a beard. If you fail to crucify your sin daily, you are end up, you're going to end up living in that sin and its consequences. And what I mean by crucifying your sin on the cross is no more excuses. No more excuses. No more, you know what, it's not such a big deal. I only kind of engage occasionally. No more, hey, this doesn't hurt anybody else. No. Take the the crucifixion of your sinful nature seriously, recognizing that if you do not crucify that sin, that sin is going to come up and destroy you. It will have consequences. So the first step, the first step to faithfulness is you must keep the flesh crucified. Second, we must keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Look at verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This phrase, keep in step, is a military term that describes a soldier standing in ranks. To be a good soldier means that you must keep rank with all of the other soldier. A soldier in front, a soldier to the left, a soldier to the right, and a soldier behind. And you keep in step with the rest of the soldiers who are following the direction and the order of the leader. See, we're not to go off on our own and make our own decisions. We're not to go off and decide that this is right for me and this is wrong for me. We are to keep in step with the Spirit of God who instructs us and leads us in all righteousness. To be faithful means that we need to keep in step with the Spirit. That's how we become more and more faithful. You see, it's our desire so many times we want to know every detail of the plan. God does not always give us every detail of the plan. What he says is that I am leading and your job is to keep in step and follow. Then third and finally, we need to keep our heart right towards others. We need to keep our hearts right towards others. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This final instruction reminds us how quickly we can fall into the comparison game. If you want to be a faithful person, if you want to be a person who shows up, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to the person to the left or the person to the right, because when we do that, our tendency is to either become conceited or envious. The instruction here is focus upon Jesus, be faithful to him, and in doing so, you will be faithful to others. You see, we're a band of brothers and sisters, and we are in this together. My hope for you this morning as you've been listening to me speak as we've opened the word together is that God himself has placed someone in your heart or in your mind that you need to show up for. I am sure there is someone in your life 
that you need to step up and show up for. It may be that you need to grow in faithfulness towards God. It may be that you need to grow in faithfulness towards your loved one. It may be that you need to grow in faithfulness to that neighbor that God has placed on your path and you may not like them at all. But this morning, the instruction from God is to grow in faithfulness And if he has identified that person for you, go show up for them. And what happens when we all do that is we demonstrate God's faithfulness to us and to them. We are a band, a band of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.